one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Today we get nuclear revenge against a basketball nemesis. We'll get to that in a bit, but first, exposing my stepmom at the dinner table. Like many people, I hate racism. I think it's so pointless and stupid, considering that the very people who are victims of it are some of the ones who made this country what it is today. I'm a mixed woman, my father's an African-American man, and my mother's half Chinese and half white. Because of this, my features are what people like to call exotic. I have long curly hair, tan skin that doesn't lighten too much in the winter, my mom's slant almond eyes, and my father's full lips. I've always been aware of the privilege my looks have given me, and I'll never take it for granted. Because of this, I've always been more outspoken about the unfairness of society to darker-skinned black people and the effects of racism and colorism on young children. It's pretty safe to say that I've always been quite the activist. It started early on, thanks to my mother. She always advised me and my siblings to be thoughtful and consider others, and she also led by example, so it wasn't very difficult to emulate. I feel like I'm going too fast, so I'll start at the top. I'm a 27-year-old female, and I'm the first child of three children. My siblings are Tara, 25, and Tyler, 24. All fake names, of course. Our parents met when they were teenagers in opposing high schools. It was the classic cheerleader and football player from different schools love story. Their relationship was a little forbidden, but they managed to hold out, staying together all through high school and college and differing career paths. They had us pretty early into their marriage, so we all kind of grew up together. Mom was going to college and raising toddlers, while dad was doing the same and working as well. After she graduated, my mom went to a beauty school for about a year, and once she came out, she started a shop in the small garage of our house. In no time, it blew up to be one of the most diverse hair shops that catered to all kinds of hair, specifically black hair, and my siblings and I were little staff workers for our mother. Because of where we grew up, we were constantly surrounded by people of color, and it contributed to my need to find justice for minorities. I saw people die every other day from police brutality, and I was reminded every day that while I might be white passing enough, others weren't, and I needed to protect them the best I could. After high school, I went on to major in African American studies and art history. I knew it was the right path for me, and I enjoyed all four years that I spent in college. Right after I graduated, my parents announced that they were getting a divorce. My mom had just turned 42, she was 21 when she had me, and my dad was 43. They assured us that the divorce was not caused by cheating or anything malicious, but that they had just reached different points in their lives and decided that it would be best if they parted ways and continued in their individual journeys. My siblings and I were very supportive of them, and the divorce was smooth. I didn't think I would ever say that a divorce was smooth, but here we are. My mom started to travel, and my dad sort of just disappeared into thin air. I did my masters, and somewhere along the line, I met my husband. He was the sweetest, most handsome man in my class. 
but he was so painfully shy that I celebrated the first time that he spoke more than three words to me. Once he got comfortable around me, we started to study together, and before long, we started dating. We were together for only four months when he proposed, and then we got married a year later. My parents came to my wedding separately, and instantly I noticed that my dad had a woman on his arm. After some probing, we realized that she was his fiance, and they were set to get married in a few weeks. It seemed rushed, but he was my father and he knew what was good for him, better than the rest of us. Their wedding was a court wedding, and the first thing we noticed right after they got married was how she changed towards us, especially myself. For more clarification, my father got married to an African-American woman, and I also got married to an African-American man. My father's new wife's name was Joan, a fake name, and the best way I could describe her attitude towards my mother and I was scornful. She was nice to my much darker siblings and my husband, but when she was around me, it changed to disgust. Things never got on my nerves easily, so I let myself brush it off deciding that if she disliked me, it was her own personal problem. At 24, I had finished with my education and gotten a job as a professor's aide in the school I graduated from. By fall of the same year, I realized that I was pregnant. It was an easy pregnancy and my baby girl was born in June. She was the first grandchild of the family, and everyone was around to welcome us back home. Everyone besides my stepmother. I didn't think much of it until she showed up on her own about a week later, scowled at me and everything in my house, and upon seeing my baby girl, burst out into laughter. I asked why she was laughing, and this woman looked me in the eye and said that I was a plague to blackness and that it rubbed off on my baby. Without uttering another word, she got up and left my house. It was confusing to say the least. But I kept the conversation to myself and didn't tell anyone besides my husband. I should have spoken up immediately when it happened, but I didn't want my siblings seeing her in a weird light. She was nice to them, so it didn't matter that she didn't like me or my child. We would stay out of her way. Ironically, she liked my husband a lot and would always look out for him at events. Her claim was that she just wanted the dark skins to stay together. Over the years, as my daughter grew, her complexion didn't darken much and her curly hair was a very, very light shade of brown. She didn't look black, and Joan made sure to tell me at any chance she got. She poked fun at us during family meetings, but I stopped anyone from speaking up for me, only responding with smiles or changing the conversation completely. My siblings noticed and tried to talk me into speaking up and doing something, but I let them know that our father was head over heels in love and brushed everything she did off as a joke. He would do the same if I spoke up about her, and things would get worse. My daughter turned three years old in October, and we threw her a Halloween-themed party. Against the wishes of my husband and siblings, I invited Joan alongside my dad and then my mom. My mother and Joan had never been in the same place for more than five minutes because she never stayed too long at a place. Since my daughter's birth, my mother had been coming around a lot more and I secretly could not wait for her to meet her ex-husband's new wife for more than three minutes. My mother is a very zen woman, the stereotypical backpack traveler, yogurt and coconut water for breakfast type of person. Her skin was very tan from the sun and I always feared that that was probably a few hours away from asking me what I thought about dreadlocks. 
My daughter's birthday was more of adults using the event as an excuse to drink and socialize while the kids ran around screaming bloody murder. Everything was going well until my mother and Joan arrived at the same time. Family and friends who knew about the drama that Joan was laughed because they knew that things were about to get more interesting. Right away, my mother walked up to my daughter and wished her a happy birthday, handing her a cute little necklace and kissing her cheek. Right after, she went straight to the drink cooler and then to say hi to my father. Joan walked up to my daughter and gave her the tightest smile, leaned into her ear and started to speak to her. For the one minute that she was in my child's ear, I could see her face fall with every word this woman uttered to her. After she got up, she turned to me, gave me a tight smile and walked off somewhere. I was so livid. I called my now sad three-year-old and cuddled her, encouraging her to speak up to me. Now, while she can talk, her vocabulary is limited and she isn't the clearest to understand. Despite that, I was able to make out that Joan degraded my toddler and called her a couple of slurs like mulatto and a bunch of other colorful words. It took a lot of cheering up to raise my baby's spirits, but once I did, she went back out to keep playing with her friends and I called a meeting with my mom, husband, and siblings. It was one thing to say slurs to an adult, but it is a completely different ball game when you decide that you want to fight with a freaking child. Joan has gotten herself into a fight that she would not win and my family would make sure of it. Nobody said anything to Joan at the party. We all just blatantly ignored her the whole time, and we continue to do so at every other family gathering. Even when she cornered one of us to speak to us, we pretended that she didn't exist to us. This made her very visibly uncomfortable, and that was just part one of the plan we had to pay her back. Thanksgiving soon rolled around, and at the dinner we had at home, we made sure not to pay attention to any of her allergies. The reactions she gets to them weren't severe, we made sure, so it was just funny seeing her face all swollen up and the obvious discomfort that followed. The next time we saw each other was during Christmas, and this time everyone was prepared to make Joan even more uncomfortable. We had cousins and all of our childhood best friends show up to the house for a party, and my mother was in charge of the catering. That was the first thing that made her a bit antsy. My little brother and I heard them arguing inside my dad's bedroom. When they finally came out, everyone spoke to Joan like she was a child, scolding her when she spoke too loudly or looked the wrong way at anybody. If she tried to speak, we all spoke over her until she shut up and cowered back down. The best part? My father was clueless. Once he'd been made the center of attention, not much mattered to him anymore, and our cousins really indulged him. By midnight, Joan had disappeared from the party. I went on a search for her and found her crying in the guest bathroom. I locked the door behind us and gave her a few choice words, letting her know that she would not go unpunished for the words she said to my daughter, a small child. She tried to yell at me, but I was much taller, so glaring her down caused her to stutter. Before I left the bathroom, I told her if she was staying in the family, then she needed to get used to the treatment because that was all she would be getting. Nobody knew when Joan left, but it was the last time anyone saw her. The next week, she sent divorce papers to my father, and within six months, they were divorced and my mom moved back in. I guess it took another marriage and six years for them to get back together. Some part of me felt bad for the way I chased Joan away because I prefer to be a pacifist, but I guess some battles must be fought. I mean, I'd pretty much agree with what they did here, if somebody that intolerable is going to hang around, 
Well, at least you can try to put them in their place, and if they dip after that, it's for the best, honestly. Especially when their spouse does nothing to back you up when they're so clearly in the wrong. Also, hi, I'm Steven, and if you enjoy crazy stories of revenge like these, make sure to hit those like and subscribe buttons down below. That said, our next story is... My basketball nemesis's plan backfired. When I was about 10, my dad took me to see a Knicks game. It changed my life. I can remember almost every detail about that day, and I still reminisce about it till today. It was my birthday, and my dad had somehow managed to save up enough money to get me a present, which was tickets to go see the Knicks, his favorite NBA team. Now, I wasn't exactly excited to go watch the game. For me at the time, I saw it as my dad just using my birthday as an excuse to go watch his team play. I actually wanted to go get pizza instead. However, it was rare to get any sort of present in my house growing up, and while I wasn't particularly happy about it, I couldn't really complain. My parents worked two jobs each and we could still barely survive, so my dad's gesture of getting us tickets and taking me to the game seemed to just be him showing he cared in his own way. In retrospect, I'm glad he took me This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. That game. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't trade those tickets for all the pizza in the world. But I digress. What was so epic about that game? Well, apart from the fact that the Knicks had won the game and I got to experience the sheer energy in that arena that evening, it was at that game that I discovered that I actually loved basketball. My initial boredom was soon replaced with absolute excitement, and with every second and every play both teams made, my excitement only grew. I kept asking my dad all sorts of questions about the game, and he patiently answered them all. By the end of the game, I had decided that I was going to be a lot more interested in basketball. When I told my dad about how I was in love with basketball, he was quite excited. At first, I was just interested in watching games and learning as much as I could about the game, but soon my interest grew to wanting to play. When my dad found out that I wanted to play, his support grew tenfold. He got me my first kit, playing shoes, and would even take me to the court down the block on the weekends to watch me play. At home, he'd randomly ask basketball trivia and talk about his own experiences playing basketball in high school. He was curious to know if I wanted to play for my school team and we discussed my prospects. At this point though, I need to be really honest with you. My main motivation for wanting to play basketball wasn't because I loved the game. I mean, I really loved the game, but that was a secondary reason. See, as I learned more about basketball and sports in general, 
I started to realize that basketball could be my family's way out of darn near poverty. If I played well and I was good enough, I could get into college on a sports scholarship, an option that would otherwise be impossible without taking a student loan. I could make a name for myself and earn some big bucks. I could finally take care of my family and friends. That motivated me, and it made me push myself to be better and better. When I was certain I could compete in my school, I tried out for the team. I was good. Boy, was I good. It was either that I'd overtrained or everyone else hadn't trained enough, but I was absolutely demolishing people on the court. Every game that I played, I was on fire. My family was always there in the stands to cheer me on when they could, and quite honestly, their support meant everything to me. Through middle school, I was obviously the best player on the team, and coach said I had the potential to make it big. I held on to those words and continued to improve myself. I also paid as much attention as I could to my academics. I could only hope to get into a good program if I kept my grades up, so I never took them for granted. My grades weren't the best, but they were good enough that I didn't have to give up basketball for them. All was good. It wasn't until I got to high school that things started to get a little… interesting. For one, I had managed to get the attention of a scout who had told me to apply for a program that offered scholarships through high school athletes like me. I got in, and they covered 100% of my tuition. As I mentioned before, my parents were tight on money, so this was quite the relief for them, financially. It was starting to look like my plans for the future were actualizing just as I expected that they would. That's when the first problem came up. Cassie. Most people know that athletes are almost always attractive to people, and I started to notice a fair bit of attention from the girls in my school, but especially from Cassie. Cassie was relentless and direct. At first, I was a bit wary of her, but then we got to hang out and talk a little, and it turned out she was actually a very interesting person. There was a bit of an issue I wasn't completely comfortable with, though. Cassie was quite clear that she only wanted to be with me because I played a sport and I was popular. She constantly talked about the social structure of our school and how she really couldn't relate with people who were lower down that structure. It seemed sort of odd to me that she placed so much attention on that, but she was really pretty and I was starting to like her a lot, so I started dating her. Over the next few years, we would date on and off. You'll understand the relevance of this later on. The second part to this whole fiasco was a boy named Nate from a rival school. Now, Nate was, just like me, really good. He was very clearly the star player of his school. Nate was also, like me, a point guard, so every time we played we always faced off with each other. I would say the big difference between Nate and I was what we played for. I always played with my family in mind. Every game I played, I reminded myself that I was doing this to be able to provide a better life for me and my family. This was my way out and I was going to take it. Nate, on the other hand, came from a pretty wealthy family. He was good, but he wasn't hungry for success like I was. And so, more often than not, when we met, I usually outplayed and outguarded him. At first, he seemed to be quite the good sport about it talking to me after our games and even inviting me to his family's house one time. But the more times we met, the more he seemed frustrated that I bested him and the more toxic he got. At first, it started with just regular trash talking off the court. 
but it soon involved trash talking on the court and one time he even walked up to me at the mall and said some really offensive things about my family. I tried not to let anything he said get to me and I reported every incident to my coach and my family. I really didn't want any form of confrontation and I preferred to do all my talking on the court. On a crucial game against his school though, something quite serious happened. I was in possession of the ball and had decided to play ISO against Nate. I know that defensively I could definitely get past him and score, and so I skirted along the outside of the three-point line, and then I dribbled into the paint, past him ready to lay up. At the last second, before the ball left my hand though, I felt Nate's foot dig into my calf. I instantly went down. The referee called a flagrant foul. The ball rolled into the basket and won. I face-planted. I was still dealing with the pain in my leg, hoping I hadn't gotten a nasty injury when I felt Nate's feet again on my calf. This time, there was force. I was very certain I heard something crack. Thankfully, the referee saw the second foul on me and with the second flagrant foul, ejected Nate from the game. The damage had been done though, as I was injured and couldn't carry on with the game. I did force myself to take the free throw first because that's what Kobe would have done. After that, I had to be taken to the school nurse and then to the hospital. We lost the game that day and Nate received a two-match ban for his unsportsmanlike conduct. I, on the other hand, had to spend six months recovering from my injury and I had to watch every game from the sideline. In my senior year of high school, I got back on track. I'd been contacted by a handful of scouts to come play for their college, and my dream of getting a college degree without going into debt seemed to be coming true. I was more worried about my school's upcoming match about Nate's school though. I hadn't played him since he'd injured me, and I was determined to pay him back. By absolutely outclassing him on the court, I trained harder than I'd ever trained before, and I was laser focused. This time, I won't let him phase me in any way. I knew he wouldn't want anyways to play dirty this time. He too had gotten attention from a handful of schools, and I was certain he wouldn't want to risk losing their interest, if not for any other reason for the sake of pride. Around this time though, Cassie and I were together. As a matter of fact, we had just gotten together again after I broke up with her a few months before. I was determined to try and make things work this time and so I put in a lot of effort. I'd buy flowers and chocolates for her, and I took interest in some of her interests, so we had more to talk about. It all seemed like it was going good. A couple of days to the game though, I decided to surprise Cassie and take her out to see a movie. I went to her place and went around the back to her room window. The window was open. I was just about to climb in when I noticed that something was odd. There was someone in the room with her. As a matter of fact, that person was cuddling with her on the bed and his cologne smelled faintly familiar. It wasn't until he spoke that I realized that my nemesis Nate was cuddling with my girlfriend on her bed. I was absolutely livid and I considered rushing into the room and confronting them, but then I decided to listen to what he was telling her instead. Right there, I heard them hatch together a plan to ruin my basketball career before it even started. Nate told her that he was going to give her some performance-enhancing drugs to sneak into my water bottle right before the game. He'd then ensure that I was caught cheating by pulling strings and forcing me to get tested after the game. 
The scandal that the results would create would destroy any chance of any school taking me in, and he would finally win. Cassie was totally on board. When she giggled and kissed him between their scheming, she told him how the fact that I wasn't from a rich family had always bothered her, and that she was finally happy to dump me for good. I barely recall how I got home. All I remember was that for hours, I cried non-stop. When I was done crying though, I got hit by a wave of clarity. I knew what I had to do. For one, I knew not to lose my guard around Cassie at all. I didn't eat or drink anything while with her. The day of the game, Cassie handed me my bottle, which she had definitely spiked. I, in turn, promptly walked up to Nate and started talking to him, wishing him luck. While I talked, my brother, who I told of my plans, stealthily returned Nate's bottle that he had snatched earlier. It, too, had been spiked. I managed to outplay Nate in every way possible and we won by a landslide. Right after the game, a few officials walked up to our team and demanded we all provide pee and blood samples. I told them that to be fair, they had to ask our opponents for theirs too, and the principal and coach agreed. We all provided samples, and as I saw Nate had his, I smiled. Right after that, I walked up to Cassie, pecked her forehead, and told her it was over between us. Of course, they found traces of the drug in Nate. It started such a scandal that I heard his dad had to move him to a different state. He lost all the opportunities he had, and I went on to choose the school at and play for the University of Michigan, where Jamal Crawford had schooled. I'm certain he knows that I was responsible for what happened, but he has no way of proving it without revealing that he planned it. Cassie called me for weeks after, but I just kept ignoring it. I knew that by breaking up with her first, finally, She had lost the satisfaction that she wanted to get from dumping me. It felt so good to deny her that. I really am glad with how things worked out. Perhaps in another timeline, the two of them would reconsider trying to screw me over. I don't know what's up with Nate. Chances are that his parents' money would get him somewhere. But from all the info I have, he isn't playing college basketball anywhere. Hey Nate, if you're watching this, you got what you deserved. It's awesome and sad all at the same time to see this story share the highs and lows of sport. Like you see OP when they're younger, enjoying the sport, falling in love with it and learning to play it, becoming really good at it too. And then you see the weird competitive ego side of it where people stoop to as low as trying to put drugs in other people's water just to screw up their future career. It can be a beautiful thing and it can be a disappointingly awful thing. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now, if you want to hear another absolutely crazy revenge story, check out that video on the left. Or if you missed my latest video, check out that video on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.